So if you followed the words in that song, you might have recognized um, the Apostles' Creed, right? And um, it's interesting to me, and this is just a side note, but uh, I think the Apostles' Creed defines Christianity. I think that that, doc, that uh, creed from the early church kind of puts parameters on our faith and, and states for us to understand and perhaps for us to live into what it means to be a Christian, at least in our heads. Everything else, just about, of what it means to be a Christian is lived in our lives and what we are called to and how we are called to serve one another. And all of that is displayed in life and, and couched, I believe, or grounded, maybe is a better word, in, in the Apostles' Creed. So I, I just love it. We don't do it in this service very much, but just thought I would point that out. Um, and I'm going to ask you, have you remain seated for just a few minutes because I kind of want to give you an idea about where we're going uh, in this series of honing our faith. There is some intentionality in what we're doing this at the beginning of this year, and um, we began with our 2020 vision and aligning ourselves with how God sees the world. How is it that we can see as God sees and continue to do so and, and be part of what God is doing in this world, living into that faith? And so we did that pretty much in January, and we've carried it into uh, February, where we're going to hone our faith, which means to sharpen that vision, which is a metaphor for uh, spiritual disciplines. What practices, if you will, do we need to have in order for our vision to sharpen, in order for our lives to be made more perfect in love, is the Wesleyan way of, of looking at, at this. Last week I quoted Henry Nouwen who said that we don't think, we don't think our way into a new sort of lifestyle. Instead, we live our way into a new kind of thinking. We don't think our way into a new kind of living. We live our way into a new kind of thinking. And this is very true to who we are as United Methodists. We, we practice we do things. We, believe, we live into who it is God has called us to be. And, and so what we're doing, again, for, um, another way to put it is in February, is living our way into a new kind of thinking as we consider these disciplines. And then we are leading up to Lent, which begins in March. And you, all of us, are going to be invited to engage in a spiritual practice if we're not already, to be very specific, very disciplined, commit to a spiritual practice over the six weeks of Lent, those weeks leading up to Easter, and see what happens. How is it that our relationships shall be more close to God and to this world that God created. If we actually do it, just give me six weeks. And I'll give you six weeks. Kyle said, well, what are you going to practice, Elizabeth? I'm like, huh, I guess I should. How is it, again, that what we do helps us to think, helps us to be? And so we, we talked about scripture study last week. Absolutely, number one, scripture is our understanding of God, the revelation of God's word from beginning to end. Absolutely important. Again, as Wesleyans, we believe that that, that is our primary source for understanding God, the Old and the New Testaments. 
So we study scripture. We don't take it lightly. We, we study it. We get into it. We discuss it. We research it. We, we take part in listening to proclamation and singing it and all of that. And, and scripture is huge for what we do. And this week, I'm going to move to another S word. And I will tell you that it's one that makes me very uncomfortable. I don't like this one at all. This one comes with a lot of baggage, a lot of misunderstanding, and we'll get into some of that um, over the course of, of our time together. But this word, couched in the language of covenant, we're getting ready to read from Moses in, in Deuteronomy, but this word is submission. Who likes that one? Show of hands. This word is not only, see, not only understanding God's word, but submitting to God's word and God's wisdom, aligning ourselves again with God's vision for the world and living into it where we're not the center. That's the big part of it. We are not the center of this relationship. If that's what it was, submission would be manipulation. <laughs> Get what we want. That would be transactional faith, and, and we'll discuss that a little bit uh, again from this text. But, but submission simply is that spiritual discipline that says God is God and we are not. And in order to order our lives, this is a spiritual practice in which we begin to live our way into a new kind of thinking. We do this. Submitting ourselves to God and God's word and God's ways to live ourselves into a new kind of thinking. So if you will, please stand. I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy, which, uh, again, we're going to have to unpack it a little bit. But uh, I think it's important for our um, conversation around this big S word. So I'll start with uh, verse 11 from chapter 30. Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven and get it for us, so that we may hear it and observe it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us, that we may hear it and observe it. No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. And see, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving your, the Lord your God, walking in his ways, observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the river Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. 
choosing life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let us pray. God, each day your word and your spirit challenge us to be faithful. And yet even in that challenge, you equip us with your guidance and your spirit to be faithful. Lord, this is within our grasp through your spirit. You've said it was so. So help us this day to submit ourselves to you, to live our way into a new kind of thinking, knowing that it is life that you offer to us. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago today, nine people died in a horrific helicopter accident. Now, we heard it on the news, perhaps, because among those who lost their lives, of course, was Kobe Bryant and his, his daughter, 13 years old. And I think about that situation and, and the way that collective grief seemed to spread across the land. I mean, it was so fascinating. Immediately, there were vigils and these video montages and, and memorial services and still one planned. And, and, and we just saw this all around us. And I would venture a guess that it's not all because it was a, that, that one of those who died was an athlete of immeasurable success, of incredible commitment and skill and hard work, who was focused, at least at this point in his life, on his family and his community. Didn't have a, a, a spotless past. I, there's this shadow. But, but I don't think that that is what caused such a stirring across our country at the, at the hearing of this death or trying to understand it. What I think that kind of brought us all together or made us all pay a little bit more attention to this tragedy was the fact that in our guts we could feel, oh my God, what if that happened to me? What if I was left without a child or a spouse? What if I was left without a parent in, in, in an untimely way, not to mention in a horrible disaster? And I think it just, this tragedy, thrust into our face this, this confrontation with our mortality. And frankly, we don't want to think about that. And yet for a couple of weeks, it was inescapable. And the response that I think just brought everybody to their tears was, was the tragedy of that loss and the relationships and those left behind. The storm this week, I, I, you face this sense of almost helplessness and incredible loss. Storms blew through our own city and there was destruction. And, and again, this, this understanding of mortality, we can't get away from it even if we'd like to. But, but folks... Mortality is universal to the human experience, and so I think it's something that we must engage. There aren't many things that are universal to the whole human race across this globe. Death is one of them. And so we, we, we begin this conversation understanding 
confronting our own mortality. I don't like it any more than anybody else does. Our daughter's been alive 15 years, and Jonathan and I just updated our wills to include her. She knows that. (laughs) We didn't want to deal with it, evidently. And yet, mortality loss is part of life. So the question is then that that Moses presents to us is, what would you say? Some people have time. Others don't. But some people have time to communicate something that they think is incredibly important. Those famous last words. That's what's going on in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses has got a few more things to say to his people. He knows that his death is imminent. He knows that his time has about arrived. And he's got something to say to instruct them and how to go on without him, but also to inspire them in such a way that the instructions don't seem so difficult. This obedience or submission to the wisdom and will of God that we read about in this text, Moses has got these famous last words to say, and, and so I think they're important for us to engage because Moses knows, at least this is what he tells us, that the way to life for those of us still living The way to life is to be obedient to the wisdom and the will of God. Is to submit ourselves to what God wants to do in and through us. To understand ourselves that in right relationship, and that's what Moses is talking about when he refers to the covenant and and calls upon the the promised land that he refers to or calls upon Isaac and, and Abraham and Jacob. He's reminding the people of covenant, this is what I want to say to you, people of God. The covenant remains even as I go. You will be called to live into that covenant through your obedience to God. God's commandments, God's ordinances, and so forth. Now, Moses, if you remember the story of Moses and the Hebrews shortly after they came out of of Egypt, freed from slavery, 400 years of slavery, and crossed that uh, Red Sea and and got out into the desert, and Moses heard from God up on the mountain, and, and I'm not sure it happens exactly like Charleston Heston says it happened, but Moses went up on that mountain to receive the word of God of the Ten Commandments. And you know what the people did, if you remember the story. You know that in the absence of their leader, you know that in the absence of the one that God used to liberate them from literal slavery, you know that in the absence of the one who helped them cross the Red Sea, you know that in the absence of him, the people went crazy. Life was just upended and turmoil ensued and the people didn't know what to do without their leader. And so they melted down all the jewelry they could find and created the golden calf. That's what they did when he was gone for just a few days. What are they going to do when he departs from this world? What are we going to do without our leader? We could barely stand it for just a few days without him. We started worshiping a whole other God. You know this is what's going on in Moses' head. God, help him. My time is coming. I have little left to give, but I got one more thing to say. And this is it. 
See, I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding to you today, walk in his ways, observe the commandments, decrees, ordinances, then you shall live. Then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you have been promised, the land that you will enter to possess. What we hear in these words, folks, is that we have a choice. We have a choice to live our way into a new kind of thinking, to live in obedience to God such in a way that our minds are changed and transformed, that in this practice of a spiritual discipline, we are found more faithful because we are willing to be in right relationship with God. You know, submission, as I said, it has a lot of baggage, right? I mean, this word is used often by those who want to assert authority or power. And when it is done for the sake of the human being or the powerful, I don't think it's holy at all. <laughs> because that keeps the human being in the center spot. But when we choose, again, it's our choice. We have agency. We have options. When we choose to submit ourselves to God, it maintains right relationship. And when we practice spiritual disciplines, it's not a, the goal is not the discipline at all. The goal is not obedience. The goal is not study. The goal is not worship. Those are means to right relationship with God, and that is what Moses wants to remind his folks as his end is near. Listen to these words, obey these commandments, these ordinances. Listen to these so that people of God, you may live. I think it's interesting. He begins the text by saying, this, this um, idea that I am presenting to you, this discipline, as we will call it, that I am presenting to you is not up in heaven. It's right here on earth. This is not about the sweet by and by, not yet. It's not up in heaven. It's down here on earth. And, and I am asking you to remember the commandments, the ordinances, the right relationship with God. And, and these commandments are not across the sea that you should send somebody else to do it. We'll get them to do it. They can go for us. Not at all. Every single one of us is called upon to make a decision. And I think it's a daily one. Shall we live in right relationship? Shall we maintain that order where God is God and we are not? Now, a couple things going on here that I think bear mentioning. This text, in a way, as I said before, can seem very transactional. Do this and you will prosper. Do that and everything will be great. Obey one, two, three, and X, Y, Z will happen. Very transactional in a way, or so it would seem. But that's when we're in charge. That's the kind of relationship where we seek to manipulate the wisdom and will of God so that we get what we want. This word prosperous, I think we have to talk about it because there's this public conversation at times about Christians 
churches, pastors who believe in this thing called the prosperity gospel. Have you heard of it? That's not it at all. It's not X, Y, Z for one, two, three. That's not it at all. Prosperity for Moses, for the people of God, and through, for us through the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Prosperity is right relationship. That's what it was from the very beginning. That is what God sought when he created Adam and Eve. And that's what God is still seeking as he creates and recreates us. And as we enact these spiritual disciplines, living in such a way that our thinking is transformed, that prosperity isn't what I get or the amount of blessing I can store up materially. If you've searched scripture for long enough, you know the mature faith doesn't go that direction. It's just not tit for tat. I don't see it that way at all. Prosperity is right relationship. Always has been, I think, always will be. When God is in God's place and we remain in ours through submission and obedience, when we're willing to practice spiritual disciplines that maintain this order that is biblical, I think, that, I think we have to get a handle on that word. I, you know, we, we read this text in my group that meets on Wednesday morning, and some of them said, you got to talk about that word prosperous. What does it mean? Again, uh, ask me later if I hadn't done a good enough job explaining it. To be prosperous is to be in right relationship. Another couple of things about this text that I think is so important as it reminds us to enact these disciplines, these spiritual disciplines that maintain that order and that right relationship with God. It's not transactional. It's not tit for tat. What it is, though, is a way to be freed in the name of Jesus Christ. And as we live our way into a new kind of thinking, we begin to understand that in some way, obedience is freedom. And submission is freedom. How odd is that? And yet that's what we practice into our new way of thinking. That is what we get to do in order to participate in this covenant that God has offered to us, extended to us. Richard Foster, and I'm using his book for this spiritual discipline um, series, he says that what he believes holds human beings in bondage, perhaps more than any other idea or thing or thought, what have you. He says what holds us in bondage so much of this time is the need to be right. Does that surprise anybody? <laughs> that need to be right. And yet when we submit ourselves to God, our will, our way, our thoughts, our opinions... And say, I'm going to let God call that one. We begin to experience a freedom that is holy and other and different. And it will bear witness to this world. Shall we give up our need to be right? Think how that would revolutionize our relationships. 
Think about how that would change things, not just our relationships with our families, the grudges that we hold, the forgiveness that we withheld. Think about the relationships in the community, state, nation, world, beyond. What if we give up our need to be right about everything? Foster says we're freed by that. We become more humble in the sight of the Lord and again maintain that God is God and we are not. And while it may be okay to have opinions and thoughts and all of that, we're not, submit, we're not subjecting our, our heads, our minds at the door, but we're not allowing ourselves to be controlled by those any longer. Give it to God. You've heard that. Let go. Let God. I mean, there are these mantras around, but what if we truly live that way? How would that be freedom for us? Again, the the disciplines aren't the goal. They're a means to the goal. A means to writing relationship, to accepting that covenant of living into it as God would have us live into it. Submission is just a means. But it is freedom. Freedom. And it is a way that we participate in what God wants to do. It is a way that we live our way into thinking. So that that S word doesn't scare us any longer. How is it with your soul? What practices are you engaging with? How is the Holy Spirit enveloping your life, my life, so that we grow Walk in right relationship. God is with us. The next step is now. Let us go together. Amen. And let us pray. Again, gracious God, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the challenges it presents in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for Moses' famous last words to your people, calling on us to be obedient, to submit to your wisdom and will so that our lives may be full and rightly ordered. God, help us this day. Amen. So the choice is before us, life and prosperity, life and right relationship with God. Or death and adversity. And what shall we do to choose that relationship? Make a choice. Amen. Amen.